I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And on this edition, we're discussing Running with the Demon by Terry Brooks. This is the first chronological order of the Shannara Chronicles. Yeah, it's kind of the book that jumpstarts everything. Yeah. In in theory. I mean, the Shannara Chronicles have been around, but it's a story that starts a catalyst for it. Right, right. Yeah. so what we have here is a um, brief summary of this book is we've got a young girl who lives outside of a park who has repressed magical abilities. And then we have a demon that comes to town and starts messing with people and there's, has a big scheme. And then a knight of the word, which is the good guy class character comes and, uh, I'm sure we're going to get into everything, but basically he comes to kind of try and help uh, save the little girl. And uh, there's a whole bunch of mystery and revelations of um, people's past and all that kind of stuff that kind of get unveiled along the way. Well, you know, you say save the little girl, but that's debatable. Mm, He doesn't want her to become bad. Exactly. Good way to put it. Yeah. Good way to put it. So, but save is all conjecture. I mean, yeah. Depending. I mean, I think he would have killed her if that was the only way to keep her from turning from turning bad. Yeah. Got it. So. Yeah. All right. So what, what, let's so let's talk about this. What, what was your what were your overall impressions and thoughts of the first book? So we had the unfortunate, I, I would say pleasure, but the fortunate to read the first of the Armageddon's children. And so we actually jumped ahead. At the beginning of the second trilogy, I guess, and then this is what a duology is like two books in it, right? Is it only two? Maybe there's a third book, but Night of the Words, the second one, and we're reading now Running with the Demon. Um, But we jump, so we're jumping back in time a little bit. So, what were your overall impressions and thoughts? And uh, Jim, why don't you start us out? Okay. I absolutely love this book. I, I like the setting. I like that it's in uh, modern times with people that I can relate to and understand. And uh, the story was good. The plot was good. The characters were interesting and fun. And, and overall, I, I just thought it was an amazing, amazing read. Okay. All right, David, how about you? Oh, this book was a chore. Uh I say that but the story is not bad. It's just I had to force. I feel a rant coming on. I had to, rant. I master, had to force rant, myself. To, let me put it this way: Look, like okay, so the story is fine, but he just waffles on and on about such. Just like get to the point. Like sci-fi channel has a rule: show the monster in the first fifteen seconds, so you understand what's going on. Second rule. Second rule is. This is sci-fi the channel, I mean. 
Second rule is once you establish an ability, you see it used. Like the, once they discover it, they use it. This was just tease after tease after hours and hours of just like talking about something. And then when it happens, the payoff is not worth it. Let me put it. Okay. This book, there were times and I, I was listening to it that I had set aside to listen to it. And I had stopped. I had to stop for something. And I did not. I was so bored. I did not turn it on and did not notice that I had not resumed play. So you were bored with this book. Oh, it was a drag. This has got to be. This has got to be seriously an age thing. Uh, it didn't get. I mean, there was no. There was like the. There was the mystery was barely there. I mean, he spells things out and then he proceeds to spell it out over and over and over and over and over again. Then he introduces a new character that throws a new dash of change into like whatever it is he's been going on and on and on about forever and you're like oh this is kind of exciting but then it doesn't go anywhere and you gotta wait for like <laughs> ever i just don't like the way this guy writes it's the same problem with the last book we read the, the, the actual if you were boil this down and you know the salt's left behind and that was the story the actual underlying story is kind of interesting but i think that i could read a wiki on this book and get more satisfaction out of it than actually reading the book. Really? Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Give me the points, because this guy drones on and on and on, and uh, starts to set something up, and then he just drops it for like four, four or five chapters. You know? Well, see, okay. So um, let me share my thoughts. And uh, unless, Jim, do you have anything you want to comment on regarding what uh, <laughs> David was ranting on about? Well, no, I, I, I guess, I guess, as I said, it, it must be a, an age thing or a generational thing because uh, maybe I have a little more patience, but I'll tell you what, I read this book in three days. I mean, I just tore through it and, uh, I started it way too early because <laughs> I thought it was, I thought it was actually going to take longer to read than it did. But, uh, of course, it's summertime. I can sit down and read. And I was reading three and four hours at a time, and I had no trouble at all enjoying this book. So I just think maybe, David, it's a generational thing between you and I that you need uh, you need more action, maybe. Um, and, and I like more, I don't know, I, I like more story and character development. See... Maybe. I, I don't know if it's necessarily, like, I didn't need action, but I need more world building. It's just, if you're going to, if I'm going to invest in a character, like, and I don't know, all, all it just was all. See, I think that's what exactly, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, because I don't need world building. I live in the setting that this book was put in. So yeah. I, I totally understand it and I don't need the world building. I can, I, I want to dive right into the story because the world is already built. It's the United States. It's the middle of the United States in a small town that has one business, uh, that employs most of the town and they are having trouble. And that, that's all I need to know because I've lived that. Right, it's kind of this, it's kind of this small, you know, it's middle class America, blue collar. They're working, and 
there's a there's a there's a diner, Josie's diner that's just kind of sitting there, and they have the the church. I mean, there's many churches, but this is one church we focus on. It's kind of like the people that we know in the town go to this church, and I, there, there's a lot of iconic things happening. So I I kind of agree with you that as far as setting, it's not like we're we're delving into a huge world that needs to be built because we have an understanding of that world already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and the stuff that we don't, like feeders or the tree we'll talk about later on, or the demon, uh, we get clarification on that as we go along. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, the, and the mystery of Ness Freemark and why she is the way she is and what that means and all that stuff has is a revelation that's down the road. Well, well, yeah, and even even the setting of the town itself, with the park where everybody gathers, uh, you know, we have that here. Um, the uh, the the places where people gather to for coffee in the morning and things like that. It's just it is just a very familiar setting to me. And uh, it world building in this case wasn't that important. See, if they would have taken away the fantasy stuff, it would have probably I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more. I think it was the fact that they introduced these fantasy elements, and then the payoff for them is very minuscule and takes forever. This could have been a book about a girl and her grandparents. And a man comes into town, newer parent, newer mom, and then another guy, another guy in town, Vagabond, is actually her father. You know, it, like it could have been a good story. I mean, I'm all up for people drama. It just don't but this tease is, me. This is the story of Ness Freemark. And Ness Freemark becomes a central character for the pre Shannara world. Yeah. And so we need this story of coming of age of Ness Freemark, of discovering who she is. This is a story of Luke Skywalker discovering <laughs> that, that his father is the ultimate baddie in the universe. Ness Freemark discovering she has powers. She's force sensitive, but oh my word, her father is the demon. It's the same story. This, this, you just made a great analogy, but I'm going to flip it on you. No, don't flip it on me, because I like my analogy. Armageddon's <laughs> Children, or whatever it was called, mm-hmm. that's Star Wars, and this is the prequels. No, no, it's already not. Know, we already know that she's going to become this, like, this, uh, I don't remember what they call her, wizard that's, or whatever, and then her son is going to be the main character in the next But you thing. don't know that when you're hitting with, like, because this were, when this book no, came out, this the night of the word series came out before that well, trilogy. Yeah. So if you read it back, but yeah. us, right? We've had it spoiled. So you think that part of the issue is that you had it spoiled? Yes. And I can and I and I can see. I disagree with that. I disagree with the, the following thing was so obvious. Listen, I, I disagree with that, and here's why: because you mentioned that he builds up something and leaves us hanging. For me, that was a hook. Like something happened. Nesk blacks out, and boom, now we're focused on, you know, the night of the word. And um, 
and now we're following the demon, and oh, now we're back with Ness. That stuff keeps me on the edge of my pet. And that's Terry Brooks. That's the way he writes. I mean, he'll drop you, he'll drop you at an intense moment, move on to something else, and then leave you longing to come back to that point. Maybe if you had intense moments. He does. He does. <laughs> just, just. Okay. Well, let me tell you. Uh, we're, we're, let me tell you a little bit about my impression. Okay. Of this book. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Uh, first of all, I got to tell you how I encountered this book. I I'd read Sword of Shannara. Um, actually, my first encounter with Terry Brooks was Magic Kingdom for Sale Sold, and I read it. I must have been in. I must have been like 1988. I was in like. I, um, um, you know, I, I don't know what, like, I guess it was eighth. Uh, no, I was in like 10th or 11th grade when I read this book. So that was my first encounter. And then I encountered him. He wrote the Phantom Menace, the novelization for the Phantom Menace. So talking about the prequels. <laughs> boom. Uh, yeah, no, not, not boom. Um, our, whoa, 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 whoa. We, we are not going to go down that road. No, I know. Okay. I know. I'm just saying that he wrote that. Um, so and then, David, knock it off. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually, uh, anyways, this is not a prequel show, but I do enjoy the prequels. Uh, I will say that. Um, and then I read, I ran into Shorter Shannara, read Shorter Shannara, and then read all the things I could get my hands on. And I was at Goodwill. Uh, Goodwill is a store sells used clothes and books. And I always peruse the book section. And there was this book by Terry Brooks, Running with the Demon, Night of the Word, and the whole series was there. And I was like, okay, I'll pick it up. Didn't know anything, hadn't heard anything about it. And I read it. And it wasn't until much later, after after I finished reading, that I realized that this was a tie-in to the world of Shannara that I'd grown to love. And this is the book that kind of starts a story. And so it was a real pleasure to go back and reread this. I think at a couple for a couple reasons. Number one, we read Armageddon's Children's, and we're getting the bones of Ness Freemark that are kind of guiding the gypsy morph, right? Um Hawk, guiding Hawk toward his destination, right? Um, or I guess guiding John Ross to Hawk. That's the way it was. But then also guiding Hawk later on. And so to see the story of the origin of that magic in Nest um, was awesome to see develop in this first book. Um, to see the way there was a lot of mystery surrounding her that her grandmother wasn't talking about, but to see why and understand the motives of her grandmother, um, that unveiling was done beautifully, in my opinion. And so I really did enjoy this book. Um, it wasn't, uh, and it was, uh, it was, it was, it was an enjoyable read. I, I read. I was like, oh, should I jump on the night of the word? No, I'll wait. <laughs> so. You the usual. Yeah, I read three that. books ahead. I, I did, but I actually uh, the book that did win this month. Uh, I actually began reading a few days ago, so I'm like, oh, I'll just read the sequel to it. <laughs> but, anyway, so that's my those are my thoughts um, encountering it. So I I really did enjoy it. I, I there were so many things that are fresh, like when you meet the when you meet two bears, seeing two bears again. I'd love two bears in the Armageddon's children to have him in and to see the. That whole thing, and then to find out that John Ross encountered, and John Ross, of course, we did see in Armageddon's Children, at least yeah. her mention. But so, anyways, those are my rambling thoughts here. But I really did enjoy the book. I didn't really start to do enjoy it until Two Bears showed up, and then anything with him I enjoyed. I liked the back, the flashbacks of John Ross. 
Like with him meeting like the fairy. Yeah, like all that stuff I found very interesting. Um and kind of how he was interacting with people in the world and stuff, but you know, they yeah. The way yeah. they build up his staff and like I was like, Wow man, what can it do? And then it just didn't I mean it did stuff, but Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the, I don't hate this book. I'm being really critical. But it, Oh, this is a show for critics. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Well, so uh, Jim, why don't you move us on? Yeah, we're going to move into some of the characters, and we've talked just a tiny bit about some of them. But Nest Freemark and her family, uh, and her extended family. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I I really like. Uh, nest a lot she she seemed to be a really good kid and uh pretty level headed and and at the same time i felt at the beginning of the book i felt kind of bad for her because she's she seems to be uh physically at least a little bit behind everybody else in her development but she's got a she's got a really good head on her shoulders but she doesn't give herself a lot of credit for that no no you know yeah, no, I, I and and as the dad of a fourteen-year-old, and of course, Scott, you you have a daughter. You, you can kind of relate to how how kids kind of pick themselves apart a little bit, and <laughs> and uh, they're they're a little overcritical, and they seem to forget their strong points. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I agree. I think she. I thought she was a fine character. He did really well of writing her as a young girl. Yeah. Like at no point was I like. This isn't something a kid her age would do or think. Yeah. Well, you what? know, the the her actions the there was developed rationale for all of her actions yeah. and why she did the things she did. Yeah. One of the things that that really made me feel bad was when it was uh wasn't it John Ross that had the the premonitions of what she would become. Oh yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know that that made me even more sad because here's this here's this little girl who who's so cool and everything, and that's what she's going to become. Right, you know, she's going to become very evil her in herself. At least that's how I read it, and. That that just really took me down a rat hole and showed me what John Ross's uh, motivations were. Well, yeah, and that's why I said at the beginning, you know, that the uh, that this idea that John Ross is there to make sure that she doesn't become what her what his dreams have been portraying. Yeah, and hopefully that's to stop. Uh, hopefully, it's to keep her from turning there. But if she does, to then take her out and. uh and that was, and I, her realization of that was really heartbreaking. Like, she really wanted John Ross to be the father figure that she didn't have. Not yeah. this demon. And you know, he, he wanted to, John Ross wanted to be her father, I think, but he can't. Yeah. Because, because he has a mission, he has a job that he has to do. And even as badly as he would like to be in this little girl's life and make sure that everything goes right for her, he's not going to be allowed to do that. 
No, no. I think he would have been a bad dad, though. <laughs> like, like, I mean, just look at his examples. I mean, he's, as a character, he's kind of cool, but he just went about it all wrong, you know? He concocted all of these lies that he then had to destroy down slowly. And instead of just, like, ripping the band-aid off and, and revealing everything, like, he slowly broke down his own credibility in this girl's eyes. And by the end, she almost kind of, I feel like she almost kind of resents him a little bit. Well, you know, I don't know, I don't know about the credibility so much in her eyes, but especially in her grandparents' eyes. Yeah. Yeah, Ro- Robert was P.O.'d over that yeah. big time. Yeah, he was. I think Evelyn Evelyn already knew. I mean, she knew exactly what the score was. Yeah. Yeah. But she didn't say anything. You know, I I liked Robert. I think the guy and I could be pretty good friends. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> he he's just seemed like a really, really nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well they call him uh old, old Rob. Rob. Something yeah. like that. Old yeah. Rob. Yeah. Old Bob. Old, old Bob. Bob. Yeah, old Bob. You know, that kind of good old boy, and he was just really Seemed to have a good head on his shoulders. Yeah. Well, he, he seemed to be a leader in the community. Uh, people looked up to him and, and did listen to him. And there probably would have been a lot more problems at the at the plant that, that was suffering from the strike. Um, I think there would have been a lot more problems in the community had he not been around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? We... We're harping on John Ross for keep, for keeping secrets, but Evelyn Freemark's just as bad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as keeping secrets and not telling Ness, perhaps what she should know, okay, or maybe for, not. For the record, for the record, I am not bagging on John Ross. <laughs> no, I know it was this man over it, here. It is well, a red master. Here's the difference. Yeah, Evelyn was there, thick and thin, all the time, and she, I think, censored things appropriately for a child growing up in that situation however john john ross comes in and uh when he when he initially revealed what he was i feel like he should have revealed a lot more and there you know the uh, the whole the, what was at stake instead he waits to the very end yeah when she's like oh, i wish you were my dad he's like well by the way i would have killed you if you were you know, they're, 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 really Evelyn and John Ross aren't that different though. John Ross just has a very short time frame in which to decide this. Right. He's there three or four days, but Evelyn, he, and you see John Ross wrestle with how much he should tell Ness mm-hmm. the whole way through. And you see that. And, and I think in Evelyn, you see that struggle too of how much, how much he should tell. And, uh, and so I don't think that this is an e the lies that they are presenting are in any way should be viewed as callous or easy because they're not. No, they're no. just trying to figure out what's best for Ness, and Ness is just trying saying, "I just want the truth." Right. You know. Yeah. They're they're both very yeah. you know the decisions are situational. Yeah. And, and I think that changes everything. And in and in in, in, all, yeah, in all cases. Yeah. At first, I did not like Evelyn. I. You know, when she they, redeems they herself, doesn't about, she? Well, when they talked about her at first, it was her sitting at the table all day long, smoking and drinking, chain smoking and drinking all day long. And it was like when it, when I first encountered her in the book, it was like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. and then well, she was reading time, too, so she was reading yeah. all the time. So. 
as time went on, I, I started to like her more and more. And it, it got to the point where when when she was killed by the demon in the backyard, I, I felt very, very bad because here is a huge part of uh, Nest's support system that has just been pulled out from under her and another step closer to becoming what John Ross sees her becoming. Well, and this is what, remember, this is kind of what the, the demon's been orchestrating throughout the book, mm-hmm. trying to pull away Ness' support system. And so Evelyn was part of that. Um, the, the Scott kid was part of that. Um, then obviously the attempt on her grandfather's life, that was a part of that. Mm-hmm. And so that she would be alone. You know, right. taking away Peck and then Daniel and uh, and the, you know trying to say that Wraith was his, well, Wraith was his creation, but you know all those characters are kind of manipulated and turned so that Ness is no one. Well, if if the demon was successful in doing that, Nest would have had nowhere else to turn. Yeah, except for his her real father. Yeah, right. Yeah. I felt like there was so. A- go ahead, Jim. Go ahead. Oh, I'm, I'm, I, I was going to say, I felt like there was maybe a missed opportunity with Evelyn in the, as, as it goes on, we learn that she had magic. She doesn't currently have magic anymore. Um, which I, I was very confused on how magic works and if it gets used up, does it like, does it regenerate or. Because they kind of talked like it did regenerate, but then with Evelyn, it didn't. And I. She imbued all of it into Wraith. Yeah. My hypothesis or theory, because it's not so educated since I don't know. But um, my theory is that the reason she became so lethargic and just drank all day and sat at home is because maintaining that magic, that drain on her, was was exhausting physically and mentally so that she never actually had any magic reserved because it was all in, uh, what's the beast called? Wraith. All in Wraith. And that's, you know, that's why she was empty. Well, her, her habits would, would naturally leave her weakened. So she probably couldn't call on magic because she didn't have the strength to call on it. Well, see, I saw her habits as a result of the drain. You know, uh, it could be. You know what I mean? It could like, be. I'm not sure that Terry necessarily goes as there. As coping mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know, because he didn't explain how magic works. Maybe he will. But but so, like, all of this, and then at the end of the book, uh, Ness starts using more magic. And I'm like, how much does she have? Should she waste it? Well, she, in her, she doesn't. She's been she's been told all her life not to use the magic. Yeah. So it's all she never really has, has used as much as right. she can. Well, we see, see we see from John Ross that if you use it, it leaves you weakened for a while. Right. So. Well, not only that. Note: Did you notice that every time that Nest did use magic, the 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 outcome was kind of negative. Well, yes. yeah, they, they which, said it was a which result. Would scare, which would scare a person oh, yeah. who cares about other people. Oh, no yeah. doubt. Well, I think I they mean, said that was a result. She knows that if she really, really got angry and went off on somebody, uh, that 
the consequence of that would be maybe too much to bear. Yes. I think Especially for a young girl. Yeah. It's twofold. One, they explain that one of the rules of magic is if you use it against a fellow person, it hurts you because mm-hmm. you're using it against a, a person. Right. And then the second thing was that the reason that she was told not to use her magic was because that her magic called Wraith. And if she just called Wraith only, only was summoned when she was using her magic uh, offensively. And so if she were to just use her magic on, say, the boys fighting them or whatever, it would call Wraith attack them. Hmm. And that's why the grandmother, Evelyn, was imbued in her not to use her magic. So that when the real need came, Wraith would, Wraith be, would be there. And I think they do kind of explain that. I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that statement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have Wraith. There's, Go ahead. The, there's the other characters that were part of uh, Nest's support, uh, support system. Pick and Daniel. Pick uh, the tree-like Sylvan that was uh, on her shoulder uh, telling her just everything and again at the same time telling her not much of anything yeah jiminy cricket yeah a little yeah. bit well you know uh and uh they do kind of he, he does finally when ness forces him she does he does confirm you know what what he saw what she saw in the vision and some information that she didn't know but he's very reluctant and peed on the world of the humans yeah. you know, tell him what she, what he knows Daniel, I love the owl being kind of like the ride for the Sylvan and kind of being a scout. Mm-hmm. Um, you will. This is this will not be the first time if we continue reading Terry Brooks. This will not be the first or last time that you see him using an owl as a guide. Mm. So, pick or just in general? Uh, not no, not pick Daniel the owl. You'll you'll see him use owls to kind of lead people around. Yeah, pick was kind of frustrating though. He was he'd say things and then not really say anything <laughs> yeah yeah i i did have a big love-hate relationship with him i thought the creature and what he did was really interesting but what he said just hit me as like a broken record of what we whatever we had just covered she would run to pick for answers and then pick would just beat around the what's bush. your education like these days yeah. Kids, you know, just going yeah. off about that it's not my place to tell you your family secrets and it's like, ah, <laughs> just give her the answers. Yeah. Let's get a little bit deeper also into John Ross. I mean, here's a guy that starts out a college student who has no direction whatsoever. He's searching. He's and, a man that's searching. And he has no idea what he wants to do, and he's traveling the world trying to find himself and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in the magical land of Wales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where he encounters something very strange and gets this um, calling, this mission and calling set set upon him quite unexpectedly, and he gets direction pretty quick. Yeah, and a direction he doesn't even want to, he doesn't even want to take it. Yeah. He's so scared about the direction he's been given. But he's, this is what he's been searching for, right? He's tried different things. He's philosophy religion and nothing's given it but here he goes into this fairy garden and yeah we well, meet we meet an old man to clarify it's 
a magical part of Wales and not a magical land of Wales. Right, right, magical right. Wales. Like, it's not like, like blue whales, humpback whales, and uh, yeah, that's right. Whale look, people look. Gave, <laughs> gave them powers. All of, all of Wales is magical. <laughs> that's true. It is true. But um, I mean, they didn't even mention Stonehenge. They so, did. And we know that's a magical place. No, yeah, true. obviously. But, you know, the... I wonder, and they don't clarify, but remember the old man he meets when he goes there? Yeah. I, I wondered that if this, if this is the king of Silver River. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we meet him in, do we meet him in they uh, Armageddon? They talk about him. And uh, if we read the second book in the Armageddon series, we'll, we'll definitely meet him. But he shows up in a lot of the trilogy somewhere, and I wonder if that's not an allusion to that. Like, she's they're working in cahoots with the... Uh, uh, what do we call her? Fairy godmother? But that just yeah. sounds too Disney-ish. But. Rid- yeah. Riddle me this. She says, embrace me and all this stuff. And if you embrace her, you have to forsake everything. It's like no positive results. It's not like, I'll give you power. If you embrace me, you have to like give up everything in your life and do what I tell you to. Right. The way it's presented is presented in, a, in not just a convincing way to me. But he, almost like from that moment, he really didn't have a choice anymore. No, he made the choice when he chose to embrace her. Well, that that's not, but she was already like up against him, filling his mind with this stuff. And I, so, yes, I understand that technically he, he embraced her. But at that point, like, I looked at it as almost scare tactics, which is, I mean, basically... She rolled in there, she gitmoed him, and he embraced and is now on her side. I mean, maybe he would have chosen that anyway, but the way that it goes about is is very brainwashy and in, in the way that she kind of takes him over. And then to back that up, he you know, he goes home and he's like, Well, I guess I'm gonna follow this lifestyle now. Nothing happens, nothing happens. Two bears shows up with the staff, and he's just like, Oh, well, if you take the staff and he forces it on him, and it's like, okay, not only did we brainwash you, now you can't be with, you can't not do what we tell you to. Well, I think that decision was made when Two Bears showed up. He says, "You already accepted this calling. Right. You don't have, you can't back out of this." Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, the staff really keeps him to it by making him cripple and, and needing the staff and and all that stuff. I thought, I thought that was it. it backed up the whole brainwashing kind of. And that's I, I, not what it was or what it was I, meant and, to be. And, 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 and I don't know that I ever viewed it as being kind of brainwashing. But Jim, how about you? What do you uh, think about the whole brainwashing technique of the fairy godmother? <laughs> I, I, it didn't, it didn't really phase me that much that he was being brainwashed. But um, that you mention it, yeah, I, I can, I can see where that is. But you know, he, he needed that in order to find what he was supposed to do. Yeah. He had, he, he was, he was just all over the place and he started one thing and he quit and he'd start something else and he quit that. And, uh, you know, he needed, he needed someone to give him direction and apparently it needed to be forced on him. So there it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that he was looking for a path and that he found, and that through this, he found a sense of direction, something he didn't have up to this point. 
And so I guess you have to question whether this is a bad thing or a good thing or whether whether he was forced into it or he was naturally being drawn to this anyway. Well, look at it. His sense of direction is still forced on him. He can't go to sleep without right. the visions. Right. Yeah, he has these and visions. And if he doesn't follow the visions, he, you know, they get worse. Well, he feels, he feels obligated to do something about it. Yeah. So is it better to know or not know? I mean, this is a whole question. You know, yeah. but... But I guess I guess you could call him somewhat of a tragic character. Yeah, he is. He reminds me of Ghost Rider. But you know, and and yeah, and then I would see that. It even it even becomes more obvious when you when you see his uh, relationship with Josie Jackson, the cafe owner, where she immediately likes him. Right now, she likes him and. There's something about him that that appeals to her a lot, and and he is he is being pulled in another direction now, and seeing maybe a life that he could have had, um, had he been not so flighty when he was young, and and it it just it's even more of a tragedy it because is. Jody is or Josie is just absolutely head over heels of this guy. Mm-hmm. One of the most beautiful women in the town falling in, in a sense, love, or at least infatuated with John Ross. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, but go ahead. I'm surprised he was even that hit. Well, that his um, position would even allow him to have a relationship like he had. Well, doesn't he indicate that he can't get involved? And that he shouldn't get involved, and this was kind of like breaking one of his own rules by doing yeah. this. I think that's kind of indicated somewhere in the book about that. And I debated for a while whether this whole interaction with Josie was really a distraction set up by the demon. Because it obviously sidetracks him from keeping an eye on Nest. Mm-hmm. And... They go to the park, and these goons come out and try to take him out. It uses this magic. Now he has no magic in case there's this time in need. And there's Josie, and now that's a distraction. Like, is this just another power play of the demon to sidetrack John Well, I mean, the, the muggers were. The muggers definitely were. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but Josie wasn't because, first of all, it would have been it would have been spelled out that way in the book, and it was not. No, um, no, no doubt, no was, doubt. She was a, she was definitely a distraction, just not set up. Yeah, day. I think just well, she wasn't sense. okay. Yeah, she wasn't a set up distraction, but I think even more is that his relationship with her was more of a mistake on his part. Right, right, and his relationship also, which he felt kind of guilty about was very much like uh, adultery against uh, who recruited him to do what he's supposed to be doing. Right. No, no, I, I hear you. I hear you in that. So yeah. I, I think that's kind of where that went myself. No, I, no, I, no, I, no, I definitely, I definitely hear you. Oh, yeah. So I don't, well, I don't We talked know. a little bit about Ulish. Amine already. Oh yes, two bears. Two bears. Two bears. One of my favorite I characters. Really like this guy. Oh, I yeah. know. I yeah. do too. He's one of the, whenever he appears and whenever he's referenced, you're like, you're looking forward to the time with two bears. 
Yeah. 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 He although although his his role in this book was a little creepy. A little bit. Somebody I mean, here he is with a 14-year-old girl. He whips off his shirt, right? Hey, come on back and see me at midnight, and I'll show you something. And it was like, <laughs> oh, my. Now, now, Jim, you're putting a whole new spin on this book that I did not even <laughs> think about when I went through it. So Yeah, I didn't get that. that. But that is the way it hit me <laughs> at first, uh, knowing that that's not what the intention was. Right. But, but look, you know. Think about it. If some some big Native American guy whipped off his shirt and said, "Come back and see me at midnight. I got something I want to show you." <laughs> Maybe it was the help of the the audio book, but I never got. I mean, really got that because he he was he was read and and active as your very stereotypical old shaman. I voice. Yeah, and like, I didn't get that there was oh, a shirt yeah. whipping off. Like, like he had a oh. shirt off at the spirit dance. He was yeah. painted okay. war, war paint uh, on and like certainly was there. And then yeah. after the spirit dance, he kind of transformed back into his veteran self. I mean, yeah, he was, I, I don't know. Was, I, uh, I was just, I was just really seriously expecting Ness to say, no way, buddy. I am not coming back yeah. at midnight. At least not alone. We had him. We had him very much like calm. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, little, little nest. We'll, we'll see you soon. Right. Yeah. I think it was the way he related, and also Peck was kind of interested, and there was no real caution coming from Peck, who again, yeah, often her alerted to some sort of danger. No, no, no. no. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, before you. Before you think that I took this down the rat hole, <laughs> that was just some. This was just something that crossed my mind. Yeah. You know, old guy talking to a young girl in that way yeah. in a park. You know, this is a secret thing that we're going to do, and all this stuff. It it just brought back and brought up a lot of visions of things that were unsavory, and uh, I don't know. I do like the fact that we got uh, Ulish Amana. We got we've got three scenes with him in this book. We yeah, got the initial meeting, spirit dance, and then we get his encounter with John Ross, told his backstory. Um, mm-hmm. So a little bit more than we got in Armageddon's Children, and uh, yeah. it was neat to see, and also to find a little bit about his backstory, the war, his trying to connect with the spirits, him being the last of his. Yeah, all kind of very cool. Yeah, and and he does connect, and then he just goes away. Yeah, which which is kind of sad. But of course, since having the benefit of reading one of the books down the road, we know that he's going to be back at some point. Oh yeah, he appears numerous times. I think he's he reminds me kind of a Yoda ish character, Ghost Yoda. Yeah, a little bit shows up coincidentally, but really he was there to purpose anyway like he was there to talk to the cinesippi but i think the real reason he was there was to give her the vision to help guide her and having done that Mm -hmm. then he left yeah absolutely i would agree with that okay did either one of you guys get the impression from the demon that i did which is that matthew mcconaughey should play this guy (laughs) definitely definitely exactly the way he should have played it um, or the way he did play it in the Gunslinger movie, 
Oh, definitely. Definitely. I'm telling you. Definitely. Every time the demon came on, I saw Matthew McConaughey all dressed in black saying, stop breathing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> See, I, I'm more of a Jim Belushi, not Jim Belushi, um, Steve Buscemi. Well, I, I did. When you said that, I thought Steve Buscemi yeah. as well. Although like, he's a little bit more sleazy. Yeah. Like but I, I kind of got when she described him as like, like not the janitor, the custodian and the guy. Like he's he is sleazy looking, but then he's kind of dressed normal, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So demon, obviously the fact that they call him a demon instantly conjures a negative thing for him. So, yeah. and then we get re- that reinforced. We get him dropping hints at Derry Hal and setting him up, um, him using Danny Abbott. And I mean, you just see him orchestrating a lot of different things. Probably one of the creepiest scenes uh, was when that really established his powers when he first arrives to town. And there's that kid and that dog saying, hey, I'll charge you a dollar to pass here. And he yeah. turns a dog onto the kid uh, so that they can only identify him through dental records. I mean, yeah. uh, that's just that was probably like one of the hardest things to read at that point. Mm. But but it, uh, I'm sorry, it was Walter. <laughs> it was just it was Walter the demon all the way. Oh yeah. I like how he kind of <laughs> just blend he's not invisible, but he's just mastered the ability to blend in and to make people forget. He, yeah, he he blends in so well people don't they see him but it just seems so natural that he's there they don't even think about it. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a cloaking device. Yeah. It does. <laughs> yeah, your your vision just kind of slides to the side. One of the other characters, Bennett Scott, Jared Scott, George Paulson, Abbott, Danny Abbott, or any of the other townspeople we should be chatting about? I don't feel like any of them. I, I was kind of glad George Paulson got his come up. As, oh, man, uh, did yeah. he ever, when his neck falls into the iron grate of that graveyard, <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> but yeah. I was personally glad when Jared Scott like stood up to him. But. Well, ri- ri- okay, riddle me this. This goes back to my theory about her magic being drained. She kind of puts a little bit of hex on him, you know, so that after he hits hits him, she he can't look anywhere and not see her scolding him anywhere he looks. Oh, you mean on you, you mean Evelyn on George Paulson? Yeah, because she goes up and she does this thing with her fingers, and she's like, "If you ever hit, yeah, it's like, the thing they say it's like a gun. If you ever." lay a hand on either of them, I will haunt you and I will find you and there's nowhere you'll be able to hide where I won't be. And then she like touches him funny with her fingers and then mm. like that ends. And then they say after he, you know, he's beaten the kid and then he looks up and she's there right? and everywhere he looks, he can't look anywhere and not see her. That is kind of a hex. I did not read it as magic. I read it as more like he made this suggestion and now, as he's doing it, this is all he can think about. Uh, but, see, I took it as a, like a curse. Well, like, yeah. yeah, and it might, maybe it did. And actually, when, knowing that Evelyn is magic or did yeah. or has the potential, that makes sense. But, well, maybe she had some magic left over that, for the right reason, could do help help the right things happen. Yeah, I mean, other people. There's plenty of other people to play into. I mean, Ness has her core group of friends. We didn't really talk about. Um, we have, of course, Derry Howe is kind of the munitions guy. They kind of is manipulated by the demon. Danny, Danny Abbott, the same way, although he's a jerk. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> but you know, I, uh, 
Go ahead. Derry Howe was a really scary, scary character in the way that he could be totally manipulated into planting bombs in places. Oh, yeah. I mean, my gosh. Uh, you want to talk about a loose cannon, this guy was it. And the the sad part about it is, is he was crazy, not too bright, but he knew his stuff. He oh, yeah. He knew how to work demolitions. Well, yeah, because of the war. I wouldn't say he was, like, off the bat crazy. Because they, they do mention that the demon puts in a serious amount of time whittling him down and reshaping him to be uh, malleable like this mm-hmm, where he yeah. can start influencing him and it takes a while and even his friend says like there's at one point where he snaps at his friend and he and his and they say his friend realizes this is the first time he notices that that uh what's his face is, is not who he normally is he's he's different mm. he's a different person now also i think a lot of it touches on Vietnam, like yeah, like the I, I don't I don't know how old Terry Terry Brooks is, but if he had sixties seventies people in his life, or if he was experienced the yeah, I don't know if he was in the war or not, but there's yeah. certainly references both also from this and Ulish Amana as yeah. far as fighting in the war. But, well, yeah. Yeah. well, and then and then uh, uh, you know he does draw on personal experience for the town of Hopewell, because he is from a town in Illinois that was very much the same as Hopewell. I can't remember what the name of the town was. Sterling, Illinois. Sterling, okay. He's from from Sterling, but he's based, that's what they say, it's a fictional town called Hopewell, but it's based in the author's hometown of Sterling. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there were a couple of characters in this uh, story that weren't really characters. The park, for instance, was a, was a character in itself. Yeah. And as a part of that, then the woods, which were also kind of, just kind of part of the park. Um, But you know, the woods really become what really makes the woods, a character is of course, the tree we have that imprisons the, what the Mentwog. How do you say the name? Yeah, I, my two rock. I, I, I think it was my two rock is the way they my pronounce two-rog, it. Yeah. The my two rock is the way it's pronounced in the audio book. But the my two rock being imprisoned in that tree, which is a little bit of a precursor to the Elkries. When we read the tree of the Elkries, that you know is in the Armageddon's children, we see this idea of imprisoning demons in trees. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Mm. But yeah, <laughs> so we have that and them trying to contain it, and then of course the epic. Battle at the end with, yeah. with the My Two Rod. So. Yeah. Yeah. I like that battle, by the way. We didn't talk about that. And maybe we have events that happen, favorite points of plot. But I, that, I mean, that battle, seeing John Ross and then Ness kind of uh, relying on, you know, Wraith to kind of help her out at the end. And the mm-hmm. demon kind of being backhanded by this creature he created. Was very was very well done in my opinion. I really enjoyed this end fight scene at the at the My Two Rock. Yeah, I thought I thought it was well done. I I, I like the the creature coming out, the My Two Rock coming out, and how it kind of went down. It was it was very fast, and I, that's part of my the payoff was really quick thing, but it wasn't. 
wasn't bad. But they were setting up, I mean, throughout the novel, they're setting up this event. Happening. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, the payoff was short. I don't know what I expected, but it wasn't it. But it mm-hmm. it was fine. I'll tell you what, that park in the woods would be a neat place to play in the late fall. Oh, it would. <laughs> yeah. It would. Yeah, we lived next door to, to a wooded area when I was, oh, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 years old, and I, I used there was a path down the middle, and it it was a really neat place to go. It brought back some memories reading this, but then there was that cave. Oh, yeah, we oh, didn't yeah. talk about the cave. Oh, gosh, yeah. And that was uh, Danny Abbott that trussed her up and left her in a cave. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty uh, disturbing. I thought it was interesting that they kind of delve in a little bit more on the the demon's influence on the boy and yeah. how he kind of can put that in his mind and convinced him to do it, but in such a way that it wasn't really his real motivation. And they even say in the morning, he'll have forgotten that he even put her there because yeah. it was such a, it was such the demon's influence that he, he won't even know that he did it. But it was interesting how he picked the biggest bully in town to do it though. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of read it as he made that kid the bully. But he was this kid was a bully because we had that encounter at the ball field where next 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 knocks him down with her eyes. Yeah, yeah. We so we see he's already kind of this bully type figure. But she had kissed him. Well, once. he was. Yeah, he was but on then, one but then friend. he really he really took it as saying, "Oh, we did a lot more than kiss." Da, 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 yeah. da. I mean, this kid, this guy was a sleaze ball to begin with. So yeah, he was. It probably easy to flip. <laughs> yeah. What about the what about the feeders? They were they were really all the way through the story a little bit frightening. They were. But again, we had this kind of spoiled with Armageddon's children, we see the feeders. Yeah. So we know we know a little bit about them at least. Every time they started to bring up the feeders, I kinda of checked out. But <laughs> honestly. <laughs> <laughs> they don't make any sense. They feed off of emotions, yet they all, they physically hurt people when they feed on them, which doesn't make like if if they were just like drawing off the energy, that would make more sense to me. But I don't know. Well, you have to read more, Dave. I know, I know. Read more. So, what about these themes? We have uh, f- other favorite points of plot, or either themes. Like, what do you want to talk about here? Favorite points of plot. Well, Go ahead. The obvious thing that we have going on in this book is good versus evil all the way through. Oh yeah. So I mean that that's almost almost a given. Yeah. Well, they almost make it. I mean, all these these words make it very religious. But then at one point they're like, "Is there a God?" He doesn't answer. And he doesn't answer. He's like, "Well, I mean, can you believe that there's not a God?" When the, like, because they even say the wit call it God or call it, call it the word. Right. Whatever it is, it exists. Right. Very ambivalent. Yeah. It is very ambivalent. But it but the idea of there and, and there is a lot of uh I mean the fact that the church, there's a there's a lot of this stuff going on. There's obviously a religious overtone, but I don't feel like he's trying to posit necessarily a message regarding No, no, it. Just, he's, I, he's not. Yeah, yeah, but just this this good versus evil thing. And then John Ross is on a quest. Well yeah. But ne- and, but Ness too, in a in a way. Yeah, and and it's it seems like 
that uh, to me it seems like John Ross is tired. Yes, and sure. that that he's looking, maybe looking for a way out of this, but at the same time. He he knows it's it's his duty, and he can't get out of it. So so he's he's a very conflicted, almost a tragic and sad character because of it. Well, you know what you, you say that Jim, and you don't know how right you are. If and when we read the second book in the series, it's all about what you just said. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. So you so, so the fact that Terry Brooks has been able to convey that in this book kind of set up the following book and the fact that you picked up on it. Um, that's pretty crucial. It means that Terry Brooks was doing his job. See, for that. I took it a little, I mean, similarly, but not necessarily that he wanted to get away from it as much as imagine if you were warned, you'd be every time you solved a problem, as soon as you went to bed, you dreamt about another end world ending issue that you needed to solve. Yeah, no happy dreams for this guy. No, there's never well, you know, downtime. It's well, always constant. But then then he meets Josie, and he sees a life that he could have had. Right. I guess, yeah. And it, it's like the carrot on the stick. He's he's reaching for it, but it's just outside of his reach. Even when he's, but even, and, go ahead, even when he's in bed with this beautiful naked woman beside him, he's still dreaming <laughs> tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just, Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Way to kill the conversation. There. <laughs> yeah, nice job there. Have we mentioned Lutz yet? Yeah, no, but we did now. <laughs> my favorite part in the book is when John Ross exchanges his staff at the music store for a loot. Yeah. So you can beat the demon with it. It's, yeah. it's incredible. One of my favorite scenes in the It's like the fiddle kind of competition, but he, yeah. he pulled out the loot and bam, it was done. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, how in Guardians of the Galaxy they do the dance off? Well, they do the loot off. Yeah. It's a demon to him just looting it off. All right. right knock it off. <laughs> 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 okay. No, but uh, we, we do have to talk about one of the things that Terry Brooks does very well is developing this small town that gets ca- so caught up in their own affairs and these, and people get so sidetracked by their own little small things and they're missing the bigger picture. And that seems to be reinforced a couple times by John Ross and even the demon are saying there, there's something bigger going on that these people are just missing. And I had, as I was reading, I was like, how much in our own world do we get sidetracked by these little small things that, Someone in political power says something and it, you know, pisses us off and then we're up in arms. But that's not really the issue. There's a bigger issue at stake. Yeah. And I wonder, I felt like in some ways that part of the story felt very prophetic to like who we are as a culture today. We get so up in arms about these small things and we fail to see the larger picture, the larger picture of what's happening. Yeah. Get a burr in your saddle, and you know, rather than stopping and taking care of it, you just let it keep grinding and grinding. And right, it's, it's a small thing, and you know, uh, living and working in small, smaller communities, you can see it all the time. Somebody has their pet issue, and it's just 
ad nauseum. It just comes up over and over and over again. And it's like, then these people get in a position of some kind of power. And it's like, holy moly, you, you've really got a, a big, well, you, you got somebody making a mountain out of a sponge cake. Well, exactly. Exactly. And they, they have, they have the power to do this. And it's finally, everybody says, all right, just give them their way and let it go. And let's see if we can move on to the next thing. Okay, Jim, we get it. You don't like Star Trek Discovery. No, that's, 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 he's like he's like. Where did Where'd that come that? from? Where did that come from? Just build up. And yeah, no, but you know what? I I think that this is one of the points that Brooks says. Look, we fail to see the larger picture. We don't yeah. step back. We get so caught up in these small things, and we fail, and we 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 focus on it, and we lose sight sight of something much bigger, perhaps more important. Yeah, and um. And that was one of the things I liked about this book, is it really kind of pointed that out. Yeah. But, hmm. Well, before we move on, are we, do we have other thoughts? Because I have some errors in the novel that I want to talk oh, about. Oh, let's, yeah. Let's do that before we do our... Uh, final thoughts? Final closing thoughts, thoughts, yeah. So, so there are a number of discrepancies within dates of Terry Brooks in this novel. Okay. Uh, dates given in, I, I guess, in other... Novels and, so, and like Armageddon's children confirm that running with the demons takes place in 1997, mm-hmm. the year. However, like other books in the Word of Voyager, the days of the week mentioned in the novel do not fall in the given calendar dates. So you don't actually line up. Uh-huh. So, uh, and another date discrepancy is associated with Derry Howe. Described as a veteran of Vietnam War serving two tours of duty, the news article gives his age as 38 years old. The story takes place in 97, indicating that Derry would have been 16 years old at the time that the Vietnam War ended in 75. So he did two tours. <laughs> All right. Uh, however, it also says he's on the downside of 40 at one point. And then the third chronological error is given when Ness is said to be training for the Olympics to be held in Melbourne, Australia. The Melbourne Olympics were held in 1956. Wow. So, so just some small discrepancies that were. Uh, Time is not linear. It's no, really it's, more but of a it's wibbly, again, wobbly. it's fantasy. Terry Brooks can do whatever the heck he wants. But, timey wimey. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but just thought it was interesting. To quote Doctor Who. Yeah, timey wimey little thing. But <laughs> all right. So, uh, any other thoughts before we uh, we didn't get any listener thoughts in this, did we? No. I don't all right. Um, so, what are our thoughts? I guess yeah. uh, David, take us into this. Okay. All right. So, what I want to hear closing thoughts on your book. You thought of the book. I want to know if you would recommend this to someone, either whether or not they are sci-fi or a fantasy fan or not, uh, and then your rating. So those three things. Those three things. Got and, it. Uh, Jim, if you could type in the type it in, in the notes as we go, the, the rating, that'd be a big help. All right. All right. Very uh, good. It's difficult to do on my phone. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so why don't you go ahead, Scott? Okay. So... Um, my final thoughts about the book. It was a fantastic beginning book to an epic series. And it does some good setup that we begin to see hints of stuff that's to come down the road. Um, you find backgrounds to the demons. You find backgrounds to some of the magic that's being exhibited. Certainly sets up, sets up the, uh, the Armageddon's Children trilogy. And... 
So I really personally liked it. I would rate this probably a four out of five. Four out of five for me. Um, I did really enjoy this book. So it would be a four out of five. Would I recommend this to other people? Absolutely. And I think of books, certainly for for fantasy people, if they're interested in seeing like wizards and goblins and stuff like that, um, you're going to find it a little bit light on that. But it is a fantasy novel. And if you preface it for that this is a setup for something larger, I would definitely recommend it. Absolutely is a great gateway book for people that are not fantasy readers because it is, as Jim said earlier on, set so much in the rural Midwestern little town, small town America that people are pretty familiar with, even though many of us haven't grown up there, mm-hmm. except for Jim. Everybody, everybody's watched Little House on the Prairie, so we, right. we know what it's right. about. Absolutely, I love the magic. In the <laughs> yeah, the magic of Little House on the Prairie, especially when Two Bears shows up in Little House on the Prairie. It's great. He's practicing his loot. He's good to go. Michael Landon, he was the. Hey, he was hey Laura. Jewish. Hey Laura. Why don't you come out at midnight? I got something to tell you. <laughs> oh, no, 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 Jim, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, loot master. What are what are your thoughts on this book here? Okay, as I said, I I really enjoyed this book a lot. Um, I read it very very quickly. I I couldn't stop reading it. I didn't want to stop reading it. Uh, a couple of times, I fell asleep in my lazy boy reading it. Um, so Jim's saying it put him to sleep. Got yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, I like the setting. I like the story. I like the way it moved along. I like the things that the the little little curves and things that took place. Uh, there were some surprises in it for me. Um, I'm going to call this a five out of five. And I'm going to say yes, that I would recommend this book to someone uh, who uh, maybe maybe a younger younger person say mid mid teens to early 20s is something that if they want to know what fantasy is like this would be a good way to start okay yeah all right well it's down to me it is down to you it's down to me okay i don't hate this book i really don't i, I but i did not enjoy reading it um, I like the story. I like the characters. I just don't like the way that they're presented uh, to me. I find it very, very boring um, and a very big drag. Um, I would rate this book two out of five. Um, would I recommend this book to someone who is a fan of sci-fi? Never. Would I recommend this book to someone who isn't familiar with sci-fi? Absolutely. I agree 100% what you guys say. It is a very, very good gateway book. And I think maybe that's why you like it, Jim. Because you're not into sci-fi, so this is a good gateway book. He's not into fantasy. Fantasy, that's what I mean. Yeah. Sorry, fantasy. Yeah. Uh, it's a very good gateway book for you. Because it's kind of a little sci-fi-ish. It's, it's, you know, fantasy. I think you could even give it to someone and not preface that it is, is fantasy. And have them just kind of discover it, I think, along the way, and they'd be fine. It reminds me 
of the same way that, you know, I guess we're, we're post hunger games and divergent and stuff. Uh, maze runner, all these young adult teen novels are very similar gateway. Uh, they're just a little, you know, they take something, you know, and they twist it just enough to introduce these fantastical sides of things, um, without getting too deep into maybe what we're used to, to diving into either excuse me, either sci-fi or fantasy wise. So, um, again, yeah, it's, it's very much, uh, a good for someone who, who might not be familiar with this kind of reading. So, but still two out of five. However, this is my end preface for it. There is a brief synopsis of the next book, uh, at the, at the end of this. And that had me hooked enough to want to read the next book. Cause it sounded like, Way more what I wanted from this one, where it was this kind of slow slog. The next book sounds like it has a lot more to do with the magic and the word and uh, bigger consequences and stuff. And, and just with the, the synopsis that I heard, I was like, okay, I want to know what happens next. The end of this book, before the synopsis, I didn't care, but the synopsis of the next book had my uh, attention. See, this is what, this is what really baffles me. David, yeah, <laughs> you are the one uh-huh. that wanted to make sure that we included fantasy on this show, right? And I'll tell you what, I I am having a tough time recalling a fantasy book that you didn't have a problem with. I like the Aragon books. Oh, that is true. I don't. I almost don't even consider this fantasy. It's it just I don't know it it's, it feels so much like religious fiction to me. It doesn't feel like a fantasy book. Fantasy book would have more magic in it. Would have more creatures and stuff. I, I mean, it does have. It just doesn't. This feels more like I could have walked into Provident Bookstore, which is a Christian bookstore, and and picked this up off the shelf and been like, oh well, here's soft fiction, you know, for someone who doesn't want to get too deep into. Uh, you know, the occult or something, you know, they, they think Lord of the Rings is going to suck them into the occult or something and they can read this instead. I mean, that's kind of what, mm. I, that's kind of what I felt. It, very surface level fantasy. So I think a lot of it has to do, I'm picky about my writers and the, and the way that they write. Like there's certain, there's certain writing styles that draw, draw me in, capture me. If we, if we read any Terry good kind stuff, oh, I, I I devoured that series exceptionally fast. I, I love I love his writing, um, his writing. I mean, it gets a little monotonous, but oh, just uh, anyway. So I think it has to do with the writing style, uh, too. So very good, very good. Well, well, you, since you mentioned Terry Goodkind, <laughs> we have a uh, uh, we have a poll for our next time. We do need to reveal who are what our winner is yeah. for the last poll. Do you want to acknowledge that first, or do you want to talk about what's on our poll for Sure. Time? Yeah, let's acknowledge it. So the next book we're reading is Caliban's War by James S.A. Corey, which is the te- second book in the Expanse series. So we read the first book, uh, Wait, Leviathan Levin- Wakes, yep. uh, which was our very first five out of five across the board, I think. Yep. Um, and so and, this is the hopefully just as good, right? Yeah. So we'll have to see what we think about that next time. But uh, as far as what's on the poll next, since we're doing sci-fi, right? the next one is going to be fantasy books. And uh, so we, of course, have the next book in this series, which is called A Night of the Word, 
by Terry Brooks. Of course. Yep. And then I mentioned Terry Goodkind, so I nominated uh, A Wizard's First Rule by Terry Goodkind, the first book in his uh, Seeker of Truth series. Um, Scott has put up uh, Wheel of Time book one. Right. So Bill by Robert Jordan. Yep. And uh, Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson, which I yep. don't know anything about that yep. one. So it consists of that. That's the first book is called the final empire Okay, the final uh, of the Mistborn and uh, at wheel of time. I should look that up too. what that first book in the wheel of time, but uh, people just, love that series. Oh yeah. It, it did. The question is, can anything topple Terry Brooks? Anything we put Terry Brooks on a pole, it always wins. Even when Terry Brooks was up against Terry Brooks, they almost like they were really close to tying compared to anything else. I think it's called the the first book of the Wheel of Time series is called The Eye of the World. The Eye of the World. The Eye of the World is the name of that book. It's so. not the London Eye. It is the Eye of the World. It's the Eye of Sauron. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right. So uh I guess it's time to wrap it up. Yeah. If you want to get in touch with us, tell us what you thought of this any previous book we've read, or let us know what books we should read or put on our poll. You can email us at theorbitalsword at gmail.com. Uh, that's theorbitalsword at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail uh, if you'd like, and that's at 1260-577-CHAT. It's 1260-577-2428. Uh, do you want to give out the other social media, Scott? Yeah, sure. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash orbitalsword or on Twitter, theorbitalsword. Or it's just Orbital Sword, not the Orbital Sword. <laughs> or obviously visit com to vote. You get a voice in what we read, and yeah. you have been choosing. And we guess we kind of get a voice, too, because we select the books that we're willing to read, and then these <laughs> are the we're okay with reading, and then you guys vote and say, these are the ones you are reading, and here we go. We talk about it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's some books definitely that I would not have read or not for this poll. So I'm yeah. I'm enjoying this process. I enjoy the fact that we do this. So Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, so there's that. And um, we can't forget Patreon. Yeah, thank you very much to all of our Patreon supporters uh, generously contributing to keeping the show going. If you're interested in being a part of our Patreon supporters, head over to patreon.com slash orbital sword. Uh, you can donate there. Um, uh, thanks again for all of that. So that brings us to the end here. The yeah. end. The end. The end. So once again, for the Orbital Sword, I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And join us next time on board the Orbital Sword. Ha-ha. If I go to the sky, I will always see your smile. I will always see your smile. You're the
Miss you. 